0: The last three chapters of our Bible reading together have been about spiritual gifts and how the Lord has arranged the parts of the body of Christ so that the entire body would be built up. And I think it is fitting that we give place for people to use their spiritual gifts. One of the passages, uh, verses rather, that we just read, verse 12 in chapter 14 of 1 Corinthians. So with yourselves... Since you are eager for manifestations of the Spirit, strive to excel in building up the church. So everything you have, every gift, as it were, that you've been given isn't yours. It belongs to the church. And so today, as will be the case for the rest of the month of September, I'm sharing the pulpit, as it were, with uh, other brothers, some from our church, some from other churches, and... I want to just say, if you have a gift that you feel is being underutilized and you want to use it for the sake of the body of Christ, please talk to me. There are many, many ways I can put you to work. It may not be the exact way that you want to be put to work, but I guarantee you I will plug you into work somewhere. So in that spirit of using the gifts that God has given the body, uh, Brother Scott, would you come and preach to us today? Good
1: morning. I'm going to invite you to turn in your Bibles to Jonah chapter three. As we continue our study in the book of Jonah. Jonah chapter three. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it the message that I tell you. So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now, Nineveh was an ex- day's journey in breadth. Jonah began to go into the city, go in a day's journey, and he called out, Yet forty days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. When God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that he had said he would do to them, and he did not do it. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for this opportunity to share your word. I thank you for the message that we see here. I thank you that you're a God that has grace, as we just say, marvelous grace, infinite grace, Lord. you provide a way for forgiveness for our sins. I thank you that you are a God that is holy. And I, just, I pray that as we see you from your word today, that we can trust in that word. And as we see the proper response when we do turn away from you, I pray that each, each one of us, Lord, if there's a change that needs to be made in our lives, Lord, we need to repent, we need to trust in your word more, be more bold about sharing it with others. Whatever that is, speak to the hearts of us through your word. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray into your glory. Amen. So, a quick overview, if you were to look at Jonah, there's a few very quick and easy takeaways that comes from it. Uh, one of those is that we, we can and we should trust in God to accomplish His will. If you look at the first couple of chapters in Jonah... God wanted Jonah to go to Nineveh. He wanted the people of Nineveh to receive his his word, he wanted to hear about the judgment that was coming to them if they did not turn from their evil ways. Jonah did not want to do that. He fled the other way. We see that God was able to accomplish his will in spite of the choices that, that Jonah made. Um, We see through that also one of the the common takeaways from Jonah is that we shouldn't turn from God's will when we know what God is calling us to do. Um, You very well, if you're Jonah, at least very well may end up in the belly of a fish. We see also that God is gracious and merciful. You you had in Jonah a prophet, a believer, uh, close to God, receiving directly the words of God. And he had rebellion in his heart. He, he turned from him because he did not want to share God with his enemies. And God disciplined him, and he showed Jonah grace. So ultimately, Jonah also points us to the forgiveness that is found in God, that's provided through Jesus Christ. You have in chapter 1 the sailors who were uh, Gentiles, not of God's people, repenting and turning to, I say returning to God, repenting and, and coming to know God. You have Jonah, who was a believer. In chapter 2, we see a truly repentant heart in, in the life of Jonah and God working through that. And then here in chapter 3, we see a people that are uh, not, not of God's people, that are actually the enemies of God. And you see those seeing their sin in the light of a holy God and turning to that god and through all of that not a single one of those people or individuals deserved the grace of god not a single person here today deserves the grace of god that's why it's grace so broadly speaking before we get into the the details of this of these verses one great takeaway from Jonah is that or two of them is that god accomplishes his will and that god is merciful he gives Jonah Another chance, he gives Nineveh another chance. And this is not an invitation for us to sin, but when we do fall away and turn to sin, or perhaps if we have never turned from that sin in the first place, we have a God that is patient and that provides forgiveness as well. We put our trust in him and him alone. That's actually one of the two applications that I want us to take away today from Jonah chapter 3. Uh, The first one being that we can teach and trust the fullness of God's word. That includes that God is holy. It includes the consequences of sin. It includes the grace and forgiveness that God provides. The the entirety of God's word and message, we can share that and we should. Uh, The second takeaway that I want us to have is that we should repent of our own sinfulness in faith. Remember in chapter 2 you have Jonah, again a believer, and in chapter 2 he became repentant when he had turned. Now in chapter 3 we are seeing enemies of God, known throughout the world for their brutality and their their violence and their wicked ways, repenting. Uh, They have the right response to not following the, the holiness of God that we should have when we sin in our lives, which is to mourn for our sin and turn from it to God. And so with that, we now come to chapter three, and there's some very interesting things here. I think it's easy when and when I'm saying sharing the word, I mean from the pulpit. I mean from in your everyday lives and your uh, your uh, social media in your interactions with with people, strangers, friends, friends, families that you come across with when we have the opportunity to share who God is and what God has done in our lives, there's a tendency to stress the mercy and forgiveness of God. And that is right, that is appropriate. But we see in chapter 3 that we also have a God who is a God of judgment. We have a God who is a God of wrath. And Jonah comes to Nineveh with a message from the Lord, and the that we see Jonah sharing is a message of wrath. And as we get into those details, I want to point out some parallels between chapter 3 and chapter 1. In chapter, in chapter 1, verse 1, uh, the word of the Lord came to Jonah. And then in chapter 3, the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time. If you look at the verses 2, Jonah was told to go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it. For their evil has come up before me, God says. And now he repeats the same thing. But he says, call out against it the message that I tell you. But Jonah comes to, uh, comes to Nineveh and he gives that message. Before that, he had fled to Tarshish, towards it at least, from the presence of God. And he was fleeing, the verse 3 says, away from the presence of the Lord. And now... In chapter 3, verse 3, the first part of that, we see that he is going to Nineveh, not away from God's presence, but according to the word of the Lord. And God gets his way that these people hear what he wanted them to hear. I don't know about you, but there's great comfort in that to me, that in spite of the, the mistakes that I make, that any of us make, that God is able to do what he wants in our lives. So this is the message that Jonah brings to his people. And it's that, that first application I want you to see, that we should teach and trust the fullness of God's word. See, I used to be very harsh on what Jonah said, what we, what we read here in, in chapter 3. It, it doesn't seem to be a message of great compassion. And we know from the context of the entire book that he had already fled from God's presence rather than risk Ninevites being forgiven of their sin, rather than risk them not receiving the judgment and wrath and punishment that he knew that they deserved. Spoiler alert, when we see next Sunday as you read chapter 4, he's going to be pretty upset that that's actually what happens to these Ninevites. But God had already decided that this generation of Ninevites would repent. And again, there's comfort there in the sovereignty, and the control of God. But if I were to go to Nineveh and I were to preach to them, I probably would not, uh, at first glance, preach out, In 40 days Nineveh shall be overthrown. I might have preached something like 1 John uh, one nine that if we confess our sins God is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness and that not only is there forgiveness and grace found in the sacrifice of Jesus there, there's cleansing a lot of times when we do think about a message of wrath or judgment the, the thought process that we have is being able to escape that judgment and that is something that Again, it is appropriate. I think that largely that's what we're seeing here in the Ninevites, but God's salvation is more than just escaping whatever punishment is coming my way. There's, there's cleansing that we see. Our shame is washed away, our guilt is gone. That's what I might have stressed had I gone there, but what does Jonah stress? Verse 4 Yet 40 days and Nineveh shall be overthrown it's almost like he doesn't know how to lead these people to God or like he doesn't want to, right? There's a time that I thought that, and, and I, I do think that we can see in chapter 1 and in chapter 4 that at certain points during, during what happened, that is where his heart was. But we've got to look deeper at this. Yet 40 days and Nineveh shall be overthrown might be all that Jonah said. More likely, it was a summary of the message that he preached in the streets. And, and still, it doesn't sound very compassionate. And I used to ask myself the question, did Jonah share the right message? And I think there are several reasons that we can know that he did. One, he just got vomited out of the belly of a fish where he'd spent three days and three nights. Probably not an experience he was eager to, to revisit. But more than that, take a look at what the text tells us. In verse 2, Jonah is told to go and give the message that I tell you. God says, proclaim the message that I tell you. In verse 3, we see that Jonah went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Not according to the word of Jonah, according to the word of the Lord. And then in verse 6, we see that, that the word reached the king of Nineveh. More than that... We see the response of the people. Uh, we see what is possibly a very short, a very uh, succinct message with very little about God and any forgiveness that he may uh, that He may supply, and we have a people that are truly mournful of their sin, so I think we see that in the heart because Jonah did not have the power nor the desire to see these people escape their their judgment. But God does, and just just through what was accomplished here, I think we know that this was the word that God gave Jonah. Abbreviated or not, it was his word, it was powerful, and it was loving. And again, loving kindness is not at the heart of Jonah here. Um, should have been. But I want to submit to you that sharing... The truth is one of the very most loving things that we can do with people. If the Ninevites had continued in their sinful ways, they would have been destroyed. In fact, you can skip forward uh, some generations later and this people of Nineveh did return to their wicked ways. And God did judge them and they were destroyed for it. But let's concentrate on the, the fact that Jonah preached the words that God gave him to stay. And as I said, three days in a fish will do that to you. Let's ask ourselves is it appropriate to teach God's wrath in this way? And again, I'm going to submit, submit to you that the answer is yes. So here's the message here's here who we serve. We have a God that is perfectly good, he is perfectly moral. He is perfectly holy and righteous in every way. The world has it backwards. I hear a lot of times that you can't know what's truly good until you see that it's truly sinful, truly wrong. But the only way that we know what sinfulness is is because we have a God that has declared what is good and what is sinful are those things and thoughts and actions and feelings that go against that holiness of God. His moral perfection makes it necessary, we see see throughout the Bible, his moral perfection makes it necessary that he shows displeasure towards wrongdoing and towards those who sin and those who are not moral or holy, which means that he judges people that rebel against him. Hebrews 10.31 tells us it is a terrifying thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Jonah could attest to that. Deuteronomy thirty-two, thirty-five. 35, the first part of that verse tells us uh, that God said, vengeance is mine and retribution. So we see that God judges and is perfectly in his rights to do so. It's okay when God brings retribution. That's why Romans 2, 5 says that because of your stubbornness and unrepentant heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself in the day of wrath and revelation of the righteous judgment of God. And, and see how that's described. God's judgment it's not described as, uh, as evil. It's not described as wrong. It's described as righteous. Because we have a holy God. I rem- it doesn't mean that we have to, every time we speak about God's word, every time we share who he is, it doesn't mean that every single one of those messages has to include a good whiff of brimstone. But when that is where the conversation takes it, that, when that's where the exploration of the word takes us, then it is, it is right to do so. Otherwise, we not only lose much of the power of the word, we lose trust in all of the word and we begin to fall into error and, and heresy. I can give you a good example. I went to a um, a Christian college. And I do that in quotes because of what this college actually believed and taught. Uh, we had a Christian student movement there where students uh, came and we did ministry on the campus and we'd go out to other churches and, and assist in their ministry. Sometimes it was preaching. Sometimes it was singing. Sometimes it was other, took other forms. And We were admonished by the the campus chaplain, not to do certain things. There were certain topics that were 100% off, um, um, unallowed. We of course, ignored this advice because those topics included things like wrath or anything about sin or mentioning the name of Jesus or anything about blood or grace, even forgiveness because you can't have forgiveness if, they, if you don't have sinfulness you can't have forgiveness without Jesus. We we were basically supposed to go out there and I I don't know what we were really left with. Um, Fortunately, most of our Christian student movement, the actual members, were in fact Christian, most of them. And we insisted on sharing about who Jesus was and is and what he did for us. But when you begin to lose trust in sharing portions of the Bible, the, the rest of it all falls apart. We have, in fact, an obligation to share it and to teach that full message. It's, it's not just that the message is not hateful. It's not. It's one of the most loving things we can do. I wonder if you've ever heard of Penn and Teller. It's a magic duo, not Christian. Um, they're, they're pretty funny. They're pretty good at what they do. Uh, Penn Teller is the only half of that group that actually talks. And when he talks, he says a lot. Um, not Penn Teller. Penn Gillette or whatever his name is. It's something that sounds like a razor. I know that. Um, Pen, yes, Gillette. He is a devout atheist. Does not believe in God. Uh, and he's very vocal about how uh, he does not believe in God. About 13 years ago, He was in an interview, and he was talking about a man that had come up to him, recognized him, and gave him a Bible and shared the gospel with him. And this is what Penn said about him. He said, this guy was a really good guy. He was was surprised that he was nice and and good in, in his words. Penn says he was polite and honest and sane, which also surprised him. And he cared enough about me to proselytize and give me a Bible which had written in it a little note to me. Not very personal, but just liked your show and then listed five phone numbers for him and an email address if I wanted to get in touch. And then he went on to talk about other people, other Christians who don't share the gospel, who don't, as he says, proselytize. And about those, those Christians that don't share, he said, I don't respect that at all. If you believe that there's a heaven and hell, and people could be going to hell or not getting eternal life or whatever, and you think that it's not really worth telling them this because it would make you socially awkward, and atheists who think that people shouldn't proselytize, just leave me alone, keep it to yourself, well, how much do you have to hate somebody to not proselytize? How much do you have to hate somebody to believe that everlasting life is possible and not tell them that? If I believe beyond a shadow of a doubt that a truck was coming at you and you didn't believe it, and that truck was bearing down on you, there's a certain point where I would tackle you. And this is more important than that. Even an atheist understands that. I'm not saying that every atheist that you would come into contact with would have that same thought process. But he's not wrong. We have this obligation to tell people. Otherwise, we become like Jonah in chapter 1. He hated the Ninevites enough to risk death and even separation from God rather than have them shown mercy. A couple weeks ago, Joshua shared us a message about loving our enemies, a message that Jonah probably could have bared to hear. And one of the most loving things we can do for our enemies, as Jesus said in that message, was to pray for them and also to share with them. And maybe, just maybe, they will see the grace of God, which brings us to the second application, which is that we should repent of our sinfulness in faith. Nineveh responded to this message of God's wrath. They didn't even know for sure If God would relent, uh, verse 9, they say, who knows? Who knows? God may turn and relent and turn from his fierce anger so that we may not perish. They still responded with mourning and repentance. And this came from a man preaching a message to people that he did not want to know God. We should never forget that God stands against sin. Otherwise, there would have been no reason for Jonah to go to Nineveh. Today, we have a society where sin is very prevalent. We also have a God that will judge that sinfulness. And we're also accountable as to how we deal with it. Do we turn our blind eye? Do we pretend that sin is not sin? That's a common response. Or instead, do we point out that God is holy, he is against the sin, and that wrongdoing will be judged ultimately in an eternal separation from God, but that God has provided a way through his son for us to not only escape that wrath, but even more awesome that we can then become in a relationship with the God and be cleansed of our sin and no longer have the guilt on our hearts. Never forgetting that God does judge sin, what if his love and mercy I just stated it. He paid the price for himself god didn 't just say well you 've got to find a way to get to get pure to do enough good it 's not possible. The wages of sin are death, and how do we have a how can there be a loving God that says that? Well, we have a God that took that punishment of death on himself as Jesus God himself became man and died on the cross for our sins. That's how strongly God feels about sin and the lengths that he would go to in order to provide a way out of it. So how did these sinners respond? Well, that's in verses 5 through 9. We see that they believed, they mourned, they turned, and they repented. Verse 5 says that they believed in God and they began to fast. They put on sackcloth. That's a coarse cloth. It was, it was just terrible. I've, I've, so I've heard. I've never actually worn it. Uh, it was an outward sign of their sorrow. They were grieved over their sin. Yes, they were grieved over the consequences that were to come for their sin. But I believe we see here true repentance. And true repentance in the Bible, uh, there's always a grief over what we have done. They humbled themselves from the keen all the way down to the very low list. And look again at what the keen said in verse 8. They turned from their from their wicked ways. When you see true repentance, you see humbleness, you see grief, and you see a desire to no longer do those wrong things, but to follow and to know God. The same is true today. We become humble when we are confronted with the holy God. We become grieved over what we have done. And then hopefully we trust in God to be the one to cleanse us and to take away that sin. These people did not know if God would destroy them or not. Perhaps they said God would relent. And how did God respond? I've also heard, it's been some time, but I've heard from Jonah uh, the, the thought that perhaps these people were being very shallow in, in their faith. But, but God does not, um, does not reward false faith. So that's why I think that we know that these people truly were repentant. God knows the heart, and he did relent. So just by w- what happened, we know that their repentance was genuine. And it's uh, a sequence of and a response that you see a lot of times in the Old Testament. You see it several times in Jonah, uh, back in chapter 1. You saw it with the sailors. You see it briefly in chapter 2 with Jonah. There's divine judgment, followed by the people repenting, followed by God relenting of his judgment. Uh, It it reads almost word for word that way in Joel chapter 2. I'll read verses 12 through 14. Yet even now, declares the Lord, return to me with all your heart, with fasting, with weeping, and with mourning, and rend your hearts and not your garments. Return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, and he relents over disaster. Who knows whether he will not turn and relent and leave a blessing behind him a grain offering, and a drink offering for the Lord your God. How much do we hate our sin? Is it enough to turn from it with mourning? Do we truly grieve over offending the holy God, the one that loves us so much? I'm not suggesting that if you're not rending your, your clothes and putting on sackcloth that you're not truly repentant. But again, when we see God for who he is, our hearts should ache at betraying that love, at going against our Creator. And that that's a feeling, that's a, that's a response that should lead to our repentance. And repentance should then lead to our obedience, which would include sharing the gospel, which takes us back to our original application, which is trusting in the fullness of that word. If nothing else... We need to turn from our sin, and when we have opportunities and when we don't make opportunities to share who God is and what He has done. Sinners who have not repented and been forgiven are under the wrath of God. And as we've seen, it's not hateful to, to share that with them, it's the only loving thing that we can do. It's preached throughout the Bible, even in the Old Testament. Moses, John, Jesus, Paul, they shared the same message. And I think it's something that many Christians, many many churches have lost, that, that boldness to be ready to share it all. And it's more than a disservice. It's hateful, and it's not trusting in God or trusting in his word. It's every bit as hateful as, as if we were the ones to run to Tarshish rather than share who God is. When we're truly repentant, then that's one of the things that will come about in our lives. Verse 10, here in Jonah 3, says, When God saw what they did, what the people of Nineveh did, how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that he had said he would do to them, and he did not do it. God is a God of wrath, but he's also a God of forgiveness. He's he's slow to anger. And that message that I said I might have been tempted to share to Nineveh, um, he's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and even better to cleanse us of all of our unrighteousness. God gave his word to Jonah. Eventually, Jonah took that word to Nineveh and through it, He brought salvation to his enemies. I shared at the beginning how I was, in the past I've been a little bit, I used to wonder whether he shared the right message. And I think we see here he did, in fact, share the right message. I think you see a struggle in Jonah. I think there's a lot more of Jonah in ourselves or of ourselves in Jonah than we would be all that comfortable with. Because he, he runs away, complete rebellion, away from God. Chapter 2, he's truly repentant. He's going to go and do what, what God says. Chapter 3, he, he preaches the word, maybe not as compassionate as we would like. And then in chapter 4, uh, again, spoiler alert, he's, he's just livid that these people would be, would be forgiven. But here's how powerful God's Word is. God used, God used that. Uh, I used to be baffled by Philippians chapter 1. I'm going to read verses 15 through 18 to you. Paul is talking about advancing the gospel here. And the part about this I'm going to read that baffled me is he's going to talk about people that preach the gospel with the wrong motives. I think we can imply that at least at some part, in, or I say imply, I think we can see in some part that Jonah didn't have full what he did. Verse 15 in chapter 1 of Philippians, Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. And I have pondered over that verse, that how, how, could, how could Paul rejoice that they were doing this out of envy and, and strife? But that's how powerful God's word is. That even through that, Paul can rejoice in it. Even through Jonah with these wrong intentions, perhaps at some point, an entire nation repents of their sin. Jonah was reluctant. He didn't want them to be destroyed. He he wanted them to be destroyed. But it's not the preacher that convicts the heart. If you share with your friends or with your family who God is, and, and those people... Praise God, come to know who Jesus is and repent of their sin. You're not the one that convicted them either. It's God's spirit through his word that's doing it. That, that's how powerful this is. And I want to finish with a story that I've shared often. I don't think I've shared it with this church, but it, it was eye-opening to me. I had a friend and a coworker several years ago. His name was Richard, but we all called him Boo, and I'm not sure Why? Boo, like it was Halloween or something. Um, and he was an atheist. And when he learned where I, where I stood and what my uh, beliefs were, uh, he, he told me, I love arguing, I love debating these things. And I, I welcomed it, and we would come, and he would, he would come to me with questions and, and arguments. Um, it was apologetics, really, uh, tr- trying to prove and show why what the Bible says is real is real, to put it in a certain way. I won just about every single argument, and I saw Boo slipping further and further away. Um, But then, uh, this this went on over the the course of months, and I would share, and I would share. And at one point, I became more, I realized I was at one point maybe a little bit too interested in winning the argument than I was in... um, seeing him actually become a Christian. I wanted it. I wanted him to repent. But I, I felt powerless to make it happen. Why? why is, as much as we're talking, why is there no movement? And it was, even I kind of saw that. It, was, it wasn't anything that I did. But all of a sudden, his questions changed. They, they stopped being so much of, you know, how could a loving God allow bad things to happen to good people? And I'd go into different things. Maybe I'd go into, um well, the real question is, how could, why does he allow good things to happen to bad people? Because that's what he does. But he stopped asking me questions like that. He started asking me, why did Jesus say this when, when he was asked? Um, what, what did he mean uh, by this? Why did he mean by love your enemies? He, he started asking me questions about what was actually happening in the Bible. And then one day he came to me and he wanted to become a Christian. He, wanted, he was mournful of his sin. He recognized that there was a holy God that existed, and he wanted to know that God. It was, it was a great day. And, uh, and I asked him w- what changed, and he told me that he wanted to know more so he could argue better, and so he started actually reading the Bible. Uh, his brother's name was John, and so he picked the book of John to start with, just, just like that, which, as you may know, John was written in order that people may believe, John tells us. And he began to see that this God actually was real and and was loving, and he came to know Christ. I I didn't lead Boo to Christ. The Gospel of John led, led Boo to Christ. I just happened to get the opportunity to pray with him afterwards. And even though I believed that at a very intellectual level, this is where I actually saw it's not arguments, it's not... If I can talk you into becoming a Christian, someone else can talk you out of it. If God leads you to him through his spirit, through through his word, nothing will will take that away. That's how powerful this word is. And again, in it, we see two applications. We see trusting that word, and we see where we have failed, where we have turned from God, repenting of that sin, as, as Boo did. In Jonah, you had an angry, bigoted, reluctant pastor bringing God's word to a people that he wanted destroyed. And those people came to know God. Just trust in the word. Romans ten fourteen says, how then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? How will they believe in him whom they have not heard? And how will they hear without our preacher? We need to share that word. So I would admonish us to commit, commit ourselves to standing God's righteousness. When we're confronted with sin, know that it's sin. When it's our sin, repent and then proclaim his message that's contained in his word. Because God moves when his word is shared and when his spirit is present. That's comforting to me. I'm ending where we started out with and having comfort in the God that has his way. And he has his way in the hearts of the people he calls in spite of my mistakes, in spite of Jonah running away. God is a God who cares and who, who will see what he wants to happen, happen. And in our lives, that means sharing his word, trusting in his word, and turning to it. If you do that, what will God do in your life? It's great news. He'll do anything that he wants.